Everybody, let me talk into my microphone. There we go. We are back, and we are here to talk about something that, I mean, who who could not be a fan of what we're talking about today? We are talking about our favorite classic Simpsons episode. We're relegating ourselves to seasons basically one through, let's say, 13. Maybe not even. And, uh... A little later on the show, we have a special guest, uh, Chance Raspberry, who is a lead animator on The Simpsons currently. Uh, he came in around the time they did the movie, and he's also working on his own personal project, which if you're a fan of this show, you're going to absolutely love this. Uh, I cannot wait for this project, and I can't wait to talk to Chance about it later on. But to start, Very excited. Right. It's, it's going to be so much fun. To start things off, Squeeze, uh, we're talking our three. You each pick three. Favorite. I mean, it's hard to dwindle at the three, but we each pick three favorite episodes of The Simpsons. Well, this isn't going to be the last time. Uh, no, that we, we're going to talk Simpsons. I'm amazed it's the first time. Well, I mean, it's technically not, not. officially, 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 officially sanctioned Radier's Simpsons episode. Right. So uh, I'm going to start us off. Let's get right off the bat with my first episode. <laughs> Here you go, Ralph. <gasps> you choo choo choose me? Happy Valentine's. Is there, is there a more icon, iconic uh, Valentine in the history of Valentine's than I it's, choo choo choose you? It's got a picture of a train. <laughs> so I love this episode and I picked this episode because I'm a huge Ralph Wiggum fan. He play, he oh. adds great comedic relief to the show and this episode really fleshed him out. Um, mm. It was in season four and it, it was, it aired in the Valentine's day week and it was the highest rated episode, highest rated show on Fox for that entire week. That's how good Simpsons used to do. Uh, I think it still kicks ass, but it was mm. a powerhouse for Fox. Um, so the episode goes there uh, and it's Valentine's Day in Springfield uh, Elementary and everyone's getting cards in their boxes just like we used to get in, in elementary school and she notices Ralph's kind of crying because no one's no one's giving him one so she quick pulls one out of spare erases a name and writes to Ralph and drops it in his box all right he immediately becomes infatuated stalker and this is this is a modern problem with the internet god forbid you like a guy's picture mm -hmm. he thinks he's got a date with you but, you know, Ralph was a precursor to bro, uh, modern day Internet bros. So he goes on a couple dates with her and she rebuffs him. And uh, his, his dad, being police chief Wiggum, takes him to the Krusty's uh, 29th anniversary special, which I thought is <laughs> a hysterical little uh, 29th anniversary special. Um, and uh, uh, he, like, declares his love for Lisa on the show. And she's like, fuck you, Ralph. I don't love you back. Uh. And you know, and brilliant you could, editing. Then cutting to Bart 
Yeah, going with the VCR. So it it cuts right to re- pause, and it's 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 modern modern time the timeline, and, and uh, like I guess the next day, and, and Bart's going back and forth on the VHS, saying you could actually pinpoint the moment when his heart snaps in two. Uh, so she feels bad, but uh, Ralph auditions for the school play, playing um, uh, George Washington. But earlier in the school play, there's a great line by Bart. He playing um, uh, John Wilkes Booth. He comes out dressed like the Terminator and goes "Hasta la vista, AB." And that was that was um, a good line at the time. And you know there was a there was a controversy at the start of this episode. Uh, Skinner talks about Valentine's Day, um, and he he has a flashback to Vietnam, and where one of his platoon mates is writing a Valentine. He's like, "Ah, writing a platoon, writing a Valentine to your old your lady back home, your special lady back home." He's like, yeah, and then next thing you know, the Valentine gets like shot up and he dies, and and Seymour's uh, like, no, and I guess people thought that was a little, little too much. Uh, but um, yeah, so there's a story behind how this, uh, how this got made. It, uh, it originated uh, from a personal story in Al Jean's life, who was a producer on the show. When he was in third grade, he received a Valentine from a girl that said, I choose to choose you. So uh, years later, uh, Al wondered if this girl actually liked him. Uh, but, he, you know, he never did anything about it. So he told uh, Mike Reese, another writer on the show, about it. And they thought it would be a good idea for an episode where Lisa could give the Valentine to Ralph, who would obviously take it too far. Um, and this was the first time they established Ralph and Chief Wiggum uh, as being related. Um, he thought they thought it'd be funny as Ralph being Chief Wiggum's son. Was it really? Yeah. You, you, you kind of take it for granted. You don't think of that. Right. You don't think of it. Uh, but this was the first time they ever really just established that he was he was Wiggum's uh, son. And um, since they were both, quote, fat and dumb, they thought they would match up nicely. And um, so a technique they use on the staff, the writing staff, is what holiday haven't we done on The Simpsons or done lately? And so they they're they're known for Halloween. They own Halloween, and they mm-hmm. started the show with Christmas. Uh, they they all yeah. agreed of doing a Valentine's Day episode, and I'm a huge fan of any holiday episode, whether it be St. Patrick's Day. Which oh, you know what? I just realized I should have done <laughs> Homer versus the Twenty First Amendment. Yeah, that was the, on my well, yeah, my short list. That is beer was roughly eighty thousand episodes. Uh, so Squeezer's breaking up because he's remoting, but. Um, that was on his short list for sure. Uh, so yeah, this was, I'm saying a lot, but I'm just so excited to talk about Simpsons. So this was, this was a very popular episode. Everyone loves it. Everyone still quotes, I choose you, choose you. And this was my first pick for one of my favorite episodes of all time. Squeeze, are you ready to start yours? Oh yeah. All right, here we go. Who controls the British crown? Who keeps the metric system down? We do. We do. Who leaves Atlantis off the maps? Who keeps the Martians under wraps? We do. We do. Who holds back the electric car? Who makes Eve Gutenberg a star? We do. Uh, this is a great episode, The Stonecutters. Uh, Homer the Great. Homer the Great. Uh, I absolutely love this episode. Um, this is so. I guess Homer 
kind of started off as like angry and not a very good dad, but uh, you know, he tries. And over the years, he just devolved into first like a kind of like a bumbling fool, then a doofus, and eventually just a grossly incompetent drunk. Drunk that if you even just get near him, you're basically signing your death warrant. <laughs> um, th- this is you. One of, this is one of those episodes Homer starts coming into his own as the grossly incompetent uh, fool when after eventually being initiated after annoying the hell out of Lenny and Carl, um, which there's some great Lenny and Carl moments in this. Uh, um, when Lenny can't help but say that it's a secret and Carl keeps telling him to shut up. Shut up. And then, like the fourth time around, he says it and Homer looks at Carl and he's drinking a soda and then Homer looks at Lenny and goes, shut up. <laughs> uh, it's, it's such a good episode. Um, and you also get like all the characters in one room together because basically every male in Springfield is a member of the Stonecutters with the exception of Homer. Right. Um, and then uh, he gets initiated because apparently Grandpa was a member. And then at the meal, he destroys the sacred charter by trying to use it as a bib and then cleaning off the ribs, well, ribs blowing his nose, I, I ripping mean, it to on. shreds. Uh, and then from that point on, they go to kick him out and punish him by attaching the Stone of Shame. I mean, naked, by the way. And then uh, number one, played by, you know? Was Lenny number one? No, no, number one. Lenny was number Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Captain Kirk, Captain Kirk, right? Yeah, Pe- yeah. Oh, Patrick, no, uh, Captain uh, Picard. Picard, Picard, I'm sorry. Yes. Sorry, Star Yeah, Wars. Patrick sorry. Stewart is Dan, uh, number one. Dan, if you're listening, I apologize for that grave <laughs> mistake. Oh, he's, he's going to um, poison my water next time he sees me. <laughs> um... But yeah, so uh, they go to kick him out and then realize that he has the mark. Right. And, uh, Which looks they, like uh, the Stonecutter logo. Right. Yeah, yeah. pretty. It's a birthmark on that his, uh, looks rumpus, like the Stonecutter. Right in the butt. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Homer becomes number 493. So there's 400. There, before Homer joined, there are 492 members. Which I don't know how Lenny and Carl got are so highly ranked at like number like 14 and 19, I think. And Mr. Burns like in the 40s, so Lenny like does shit to him. Right, they could pick on Burns. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, uh, they remove the Stone of Shame, attach the Stone of Triumph, and it's this massive boulder that Homer then has to drag. Um, and then, yeah, there's some great slapstick stuff where they go to um, haze Homer in. So they go to push him uh, the five-story... Uh, he has to survive a five-story fall. And it's really just, like, off the stage. He's just going to fall like a foot. So they push him, and he falls, hits the floor, and they all kind of laugh at him. But then the floor breaks. Right. And he falls, and you're counting, and he's breaking through five floors. So he hits the bottom. And he's like, I think the blind... I have to do it again. The blindfold fell off. (laughs) Uh, Classic Simpsons. Yeah, it's really great. And then there's just some, some dry stuff out of Homer, too. Um... When Lisa, Lisa questions him, like, uh, so what do they do? What don't they do? Right. And he's like, you don't know what they do. And like, not as such, no. What, now, what season is this one in? 
This was season six. Season six, good episode. My next one's from season six as well. Yeah. Um, oh, and then, of course, it has monkeys in it. I mean, oh, you yeah. can't have a Simpsons episode without monkeys because everyone leaves because Lisa talks Homer into using the power to stonecutters for good. Um, but all they really want to do is just get drunk and play ping pong, if I can quote uh, Captain Picard. Sure. Uh, so they're, they're full to fill up the membership. Now, Homer brings in a bunch of monkeys and has them recreate the Battle of Gettysburg. And it doesn't go so well. Homer the Great. Uh, it's a great episode. I could uh, just quote through like the whole thing for you and you know MacGyver this episode, but I won't. Now go online and uh, uh, after after Homer kicks it, basically alienates everyone from the Stonecutters. They form the ancient mystical society of what? No Homers. That's correct. Uh, yes. And barring Homer from ever joining their society, he will never be the chosen one of that group. Kind of, kind of goes without saying that that's basically all the secret societies who secretly control the world are. Uh, all right, you ready to hear my next one? Go for it. Here we go. So you loved her right from the start. <laughs> Absolutely. Then why no pictures? Oh, there are pictures. I keep them where I need the most cheering up. So, Squeezer. Aww. When was the last time you watched this episode? Now uh, that you have a daughter, I bet you'd cry. Because I am wow, watching yeah. it. Wow, yeah. Because I, this is my, one of my favorites. I watch it all the time. I love the ones where they go back in time or they go to the future. Mainly the back in time ones. I love Lisa's First Word. I love Maggie Makes Three. I love uh, Bar- Homer's Barbershop <laughs> Quartet. But Maggie Makes Three is great because it tells a time when there's just Bart and Lisa and um, Homer finally pays off the house mortgage so he quits in like a great fashion at the plant playing the bongos on mr smith's head across (laughs) across and then he gets his dream job at the bowling alley and he's loving it there um uh but you know a wrench is thrown into the whole mix when marge is pregnant again so he kind of blames uh maggie for having to leave his dream job and there's a fantastic fantastic little scene when so uh, as a going away gift well, this is really two scenes as a going away gift everyone at the bowling alley gets him uh this bowling jacket that he had his eyes on from the pro shop and then this little like shoe shine newsy guy goes well, i'll see you mr homer he goes i'll miss you the most jimmy he goes we'll get to california one day won't we he goes <laughs> sure mr homer sure we will and then he coughs. <clears throat> Uh, and then he goes out and starts uh, raining, and the acid rain just uh, melts away his jacket. Uh, that 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 classic Homer sad sigh. Then, oh, right. And then uh, then he gets his job back, but Smithers makes him. Well, Burns and Smithers make him put this plaque uh, that says something along the lines of, "I think you're here for life," or uh, "Do it." Uh, don't oh don't forget don't yeah don't forget yeah. don't don't forget you're here forever that's what it is don't yeah. forget you're here forever so he yeah. all those pictures that were missing from the photo album are up in his office and it covers up the letters to spell out do it for her it's really touching I just noticed that that is awesome you never saw that before i never noticed that no nope. yeah that is one of my favorite 
Uh, favorite, favorite ever episodes. It's so sweet. It shows that Homer is I'm human. Seeing a, I'm seeing a different side of you uh, with your selection of Simpsons episodes. I like the sweet ones. Yeah, the sweet ones. My next one isn't so sweet, but I like, mm-hmm. I like this. I like the ones that showed that there was um, heart, heart, and, and these did have a lot of heart. And I, you know, it harkens back to the olden days of cartoons. And this one had one of the funniest opening gags. They're sitting around watching TV and they're watching Nightboat, and all of a sudden, the the, the Nightboat is cha- it's like a play on Night Rider, and <laughs> the Nightboat is chasing. <laughs> The jet skiers, and they get off and go to land. And he's like, oh, no, they've gone to land. Oh, wait, there's a fjord. And then Lisa <laughs> goes, ah, every week there's a fjord or a canal. <laughs> and then Marge comes in and turns off Nightboat and says, we have to do something as a family. It's, it's family time. So, yeah, that's a, that's a great episode. It's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, season, uh, season six, uh, they're really hitting their stride. Oh, yeah. I, that's, I, I think... Six, seven, eight. I mean, that they were just rolling in the awards too, and it was just. I think it was just the right time and everything. Like that time in the nineties, and just. Uh, it was written by Jennifer Crittenden, and who was a writer on Everybody Loves Raymond and Seinfeld. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, I'm not trying to be sexist, but it takes a woman to really, like, bring out that kind of heart. <laughs> it doesn't really. Anyone could write that, but this woman did a fantastic job. Well, not anyone could write that. Yeah, not anyone could write that. I'm not saying, I'm not diminishing, but any gender could write a great episode. But this woman, Jennifer Crittenden, who's a fantastic writer, uh, television writer, she really did a number. Uh, and she also was a co writer on my next favorite one. So, uh, way to walk that tightrope there, buddy. What am I walking a tightrope? Tight, uh, uh, tightrope. Not being sexist. No. She wrote The Little Jerry for Seinfeld, which is one of my favorite episodes. The little, when um, Kramer gets the cockfighting rooster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're making a big mistake, Big Yeti. <laughs> big Yeti's making a big mistake, Yeti. Great episode. Uh, well, so yeah, let's continue my theme then. You, you're, you're so sweet. Mine are basically Homer at his absolute worst. I will agree, but this was, uh, I wanted to do this one, but I, I, Gave it to you. Like for real, in real life, you wanted to do this or? I would love to actually. Yeah. But uh, I think this is a sweet episode. I'll, I will argue this, uh, but let's get to it. 8.58. First time I've ever been early for work. Except for all those daylight savings days, lousy farmers. To start, press any key. Where's the any key? I see esk. Katarl and pig up. There doesn't seem to be any any key. Whew. All this computer hacking is making me thirsty. I think I'll order a tab. Oh, no time for that now. The computer's starting. Check core temperature. Yes slash no. Yes. Core temperature normal. <laughs> Not too shabby. Vent radioactive gas. N O. Venting prevents explosion. <laughs> Ooh, this is hard. Where's my tab? Where's my tab? Oh, Paul Newman's going to have my head. Did, did anyone not uh, get that clip back in the day, get that clip online, cut up in the WAV files, and then use it for all the sound effects on your piece? On your what? Use you never all- did that? What? 
like replace all the sounds like on your computer back in the day someone like boot up instead of the beeps so like every time my computer would turn on and boot up like it would no time for that now the computer's starting uh that's adorable i did not do yeah oh my my entire my entire computer uh, whatever it was like every sound was a simpson sound so uh we're talking about king size homer which mm-hmm. is one of the greatest episodes and greatest Homer gimmicks ever done. Oh, absolutely. All right, give, give us a little bit of a synopsis. Right. Just a little uh, bit. So, uh, so Mr. Burns starts a, uh, a fitness program at work, like cali- old school 1920s like calisthenics course like with one high eyes. Yeah, one high eye. <laughs> um, uh, what would you call him? Iroquois twi- Iroquois. Yeah. You owe me 32 Iroquois twists? Yes. Um, so to get out of that, um, Homer realizes that he can get out of work by being on disability. So he's going through the manual, and if he weighs over 300 pounds, he can work from home. So Bart, being the good son that he is, who admits normally he doesn't want to be involved with Homer whatsoever, this is something he wants to be a part of. So they go to Dr. Nick's. Nope, uh, nope. First they go to Dr. Hibbert. First they go to Dr. Hibbert, who he was like, I will have no part of it. Well, could you <laughs> recommend you... someone who will? Yes. <laughs> yes. So they send the Dr. Nick, and uh, he goes over all the congealed groups and Chocotastic and the awesome looking food pyramid, which, to be fair, nowadays, um, with all the, all the fats, Based off of what our food pyramid looked like uh, as kids, which was basically all bread, carbs, it was yeah, probably not much different. Um, <laughs> in the long run, chocolate good for you. Uh, and then here he has the little the little tip, which is take a piece of food, rub it on a piece of paper. If the paper turns clear, it's your window to weight gain. Uh, the best gag in that in that whole show is when. He goes, ah, oh, fish sandwich. I don't know about this. And then Homer rubs, or Bart rubs it on the wall of the Krusty Burger, and it goes clear, and a bird runs into it. <laughs> great, great gag. Uh, this whole episode, I'm just laughing the whole time. When between just his reaching broom. Can um, I can I tell you my favorite gag in that whole show? My, I said it was the last one. This is my favorite gag, and I repeat it over and over and over. And sometimes they cut it out of syndication. But uh, he gets a sample of fabric softener in the mail. So he's downstairs yeah. watching the dryer. And Lisa's like, Dad, what are you doing down there? And he goes, what? <laughs> washing my fat guy hat, honey. It, it's been so long since I've seen this one. And yeah, they, they cut it out a lot. And watching it on Simpsons World, uh, I, it had me just rolling. Because it's been so long since I saw that that gag in particular washing my fat guy uh, hat washing honey. my ha- fat guy hat i don't want to look like uh, a weirdo i don't want to look like a weirdo <laughs> i'll take, take a moo great episode and one then, for honk please oh honey he, he uh, wants to go to the movie theater excuse me, sir we cannot accommodate a man of your size if you please leave we'll gladly accommodate you with a garbage bag full of popcorn <laughs> um hey fatty i got a movie for you a fridge too far I can just quote this all day. I'll yeah, quote the whole oh, movie. It, it is one of the most quoted episodes, I, I think, across the board. I know for a fact we do. Right. Um, what's oh. he doing with that broom? What isn't, <laughs> isn't he, he doing? Oh, oh um, so, so good. <laughs> so then Homer's so lazy, you know, while he goes to the movies. So he has he gets his drinking bird, which do you know where he got that bird from? 
Uh, I do, but I can't remember. I Brother I, Herb. What's that? Yeah, Herb, Herb. Herb. That's right. Gives him that as gives, a gift. Gives it to him as a gift. I, I remember seeing that, like, uh, watching it on Simpsons World. and be like, oh, that was when uh, the baby talker, right? Or the car. Mm-hmm. No, he designs the car. Yeah. Yeah, designs the car. The Homer. Um, so, yeah, Homer uses his drinking bird to just keep hitting the Y button um, so that he can then go out. Uh, and then, yeah, it, it tips over. And now the plant's going to explode because the radioactive gas he didn't vent so now the pressure is too high so he has to get there himself to do that first he tries bart's skateboard which he then breaks when he jumps on it uh and then he hijacks an ice cream truck <laughs> and the guy uh he's just who try- was it it was uh what's it, it wasn't it the kid oh geez sir stridex pad kid yeah oh geez yeah, yeah. it was him i believe right yeah yeah. Um, so yeah, he comes up, jumps out, take oh, it all, raspberry. take it all. Meanwhile, Lisa is arguing <laughs> with Ralph on the bus, defending her dad that he's not uh, a a crazy man, just obsessed with food. Meanwhile, Homer pulls up <laughs> alongside the bus, driving the ice cream. Of course, at this point, he has an ice cream cone, eating it. Yeah. I'm just, I'm laughing my ass off just describing it. And he's just kind of, oh, raspberry, yeah. so good. And until he he gets to the plant, and while they're doing exercises, he's trying to get to the manual manual release valve. The tank explodes out of the valve, but then Homer falls into it and seals it because he's so fat. And Bart's famous line. For once, dad's got dad's ass prevented the fat ass. I believe he said. Hold on, hold on, hold on. As he's uh, hold on, hold on. You lose me. Uh, We're going a little crazy here. Hold on. Okay, you're back. So say the line again. Uh, for once, for once, dad's butt uh, prevented the. Wow, look at me stammer over a line. He said, for once, dad's fat ass prevented the release of toxic yeah, gas. I think it's ironic that for once, dad's butt actually prevented the release of toxic gas. But Before Marge he said it, yeah, he cuts him off, off yeah. perfectly. Yeah. Like the way, uh, the way it's delivered. And then uh, uh, Mr. Burns tells him he's going to get him in shape. Yeah. And oh, yeah. And it, it ends uh, with just him trying to do one sit-up. In his tidy whities it's so funny. And then Mr. Burns just gives off. Oh, I'll just I'll pay just for the lipo. Blasted liposuction. And woohoo! Yeah. And uh, such a... Ah, uh, just top five uh, of all time. I mean, I don't know anyone that doesn't have this on their list. Here's another great line. Uh, Homer Talrak. <laughs> when he's trying uh, to... Oh, yeah. Play. Oh, yeah. When, <laughs> when he goes to eat Maggie's on the Talrak, donut. Yeah. Well, Homer, non-toxic, and he's already eating it. <laughs> he's already eating it, yeah. yeah. Well, that's a great one. Um, here's my last one, and this is a classic uh, by far. You know, I went to the McDonald's in uh, Shelbyville on Friday night. The McWhat? Uh, McDonald's restaurant. I, uh, I never heard of it either, but uh, they have over 2,000 locations in this state alone. Must have sprung up overnight. You know the funniest thing, though? It's the little differences. Example. Well, at McDonald's, you can buy a Krusty Burger with cheese, right? But they don't call it a Krusty Burger with cheese. Get out. Well, why do they call it? A quarter pounder with cheese. Quarter pounder with cheese? Well, I can picture the cheese, but, uh... Do they have crusty, partially gelatinated, non-dairy, gum-based beverages? Mm-hmm. They call them shakes. 
<clears throat> Shakes. I don't know what you're getting. Well, I know what I'm getting. Some donuts. So, uh, in an episode called, uh, uh, from season four called The Front, there was a short sequence entitled The Adventures of Ned Flanders, which had its own title card and theme song, and it's a con- conclusion. And there was no relevance to the main plot at all, which gave them the idea of doing a whole show like that, kind of loosely based on Pulp Fiction's and like non-sequiturism. It's called 22 Short Films About Springfield. There was only 20 little skits, but it was named after 32 short films about Glenn Gould, that movie. So it starts with Bart and Milhouse uh, spitting and squirting condiments from the highway on the cars. Uh, then they go into the Quickie Mart. Uh, that puts us into Apu's crazy story where he decides to take five minutes off to uh, party like it's on discounted for $19.99. Uh, well, we could get into the racial discriminations of Apu which they might write off the show, I think, actually. But we're not going to get into no. him there. Uh, he goes to a party at Sanjay's for five minutes uh, and winds up having, um, uh, I think, like uh, a once-and-done sex with someone in the pool house mm-hmm. and falls in the pool. Then Bart uh, gets the gum he bought at the Quickie Mart and Lisa's hair, and Marge tries to get it out with all those foods, and she's putting all that stuff, and then everyone in Springfield, even the bumblebee, winds up in the house. <laughs> uh, then Smithers uh, is riding a, bike, a tandem bike with, with Mr. Burns and gets stung in the eye, and he gets the allergic reaction, and Mr. Smithers can't pedal, so he's like, put your one stupid festo, or you know, he does that whole long on there, uh-huh. and he gets there, and they obviously they, they take him. Uh, then uh, Dr. Nick gets under criticism from the hospital board for being a quack. Then Grandpa Simpson comes in and he's, and he's like, oh, I'm suffering from the... He's got the crazy, the jitters. And he's like, I need a quack. And he's like, you're suffering from skin jumpitis where your skin's literally... Chi- your bones are literally trying to jump out of your body. Doing a horrible Dr. Nick. And so he, he shocks him with like wires coming from a fucking lamp. Uh, so... Then uh, Mo gets robbed by Snake after Barney gives him. He calculates Barney's spar tab for two thousand uh, for I think fourteen billion dollars. Well, he had to send it away to NASA. Send it to NASA, and Barney gives him two thousand. So he puts it in the drawer. Snake comes in. He goes behind his like security wall, his panic room, and he goes, "Do your do your worst." <laughs> he just takes the two thousand in, and then Mo like passes out for there not being any air in there. And then uh, the best skit of the show. Uh, Skinner and Superintendent Chalmers. Uh, Skinner's hosting lunch for Chalmers at his house, and he accidentally burns the roast. And he's like, oh, those are steamed clams. And he's like, steamed clams. (laughs) He goes, oh, okay. And he brings out hamburger. He goes, I thought you were saying you're making steamed clams. He goes, no, they're steamed hams. He goes, these are steamed hams, even though they're clearly grilled. Uh, Yes. Okay, well, I try. Oh, well, then he, he's like, oh, what's that in the kitchen? He's like, the Northern Lights. The Northern Lights <laughs> in, in your kitchen. Centralize it. And he's like, may I see it? No. Uh, and then he gets that. It's a really great episode. I mean, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but um, the Pulp Fiction stuff starts when uh, Snake runs uh, Wiggum over after he's in. They're doing the whole skit like I just shot, played for you. Shot for shot. Shot for shot, just like Pulp Fiction. And the fight ensues, and Herman captures him. And I don't know. I don't know if he's about to get raped, like in Pulp Fiction, uh, but um, 
Milhouse and uh, Kirk Van Houten come in because Milhouse has to pee. And uh, Kirk's trying to make small talk when he's about to get, you know, tied up too. And Milhouse comes swinging a, a mace and clocks uh, Herman in the head. And um, then there's some folks will never lose a toe, but then again, some folks will likely this slack draw Yoko. <laughs> it's a good rendition, right? That was pretty good. Uh, so then, uh, it ends with Lisa getting her hair cut and looking nice. And she goes out and Nelson laughs at it right away. And then he's laughing at this really tall guy driving a car. And the guy pulls out and gets, he goes, are you laughing at me because of the size of my automobile? This is the odd, only auto I could afford on my budget. Do, am I the, should be subject to ridicule? It's like, I don't know. And then he goes, he makes it, he yanks his pants down and he does it. A little parade, and he goes, makes everyone laugh at him. Laugh at the boy. Wave to them. Blow them kisses. And then uh, it ends with Barton Milhouse squirting the ketchup and everything and saying, oh, I guess stuff does happen here all the while. And then the 20th is lastly Frank going, oh, no, I'm, uh, you know, Glavin. He's trying to get his last thing in, but, mm-hmm. they, you know, they don't let him. Uh, he, he tries to get his kid in. Uh, this was such a fun episode for me as a kid because yeah. I got grounded for watching Pulp Fiction on pay-per-view mm-hmm. in 94. Uh, so I was obsessed with that movie when I saw it. There's something mm-hmm. about it where, which it just en- enthralled me. And, um, this episode is really fun. And I think it's all, all the supporting characters, you know, it's like all, all your favorites are there. It gives you everything you want, like in, in one episode. Right. Right. Uh, so, uh, this episode, um, Bill Oakley wrote the Chalmers scene because he was his all-time favorite character of the show. And he said, until another character from your next episode was created, he felt that Chalmers was the only character on the show that seemed to operate in the normal human universe. (laughs) Uh, But then we're going to talk about this next episode, which had the guy who also would, but went crazy, I guess. I'll just get to it. What's this? Extremely high voltage. Well, I don't need safety gloves because I'm Homer Sip. Frank Grimes, or grimy as he liked to be called, taught us that a man can triumph over adversity. And even though Frank's agonizing struggle through life was tragically cut short, I'm sure he's looking down on him. Change the channel, Marge. (laughs) That's our Homer. Frank Grimes might be my favorite character, favorite episode. Homer's Enemy is a work of art. Question, Squeezer, question. Yeah. Do you ever feel like you're Frank Grimes and I'm your Homer? I, I was, you know what? Watching this over again, I'm like, I, I, I see a little bit of, I see a little bit of Frank Grimes in me. Oh yeah, obviously. And there's a little bit of Homer in me. Yeah, and there, well, there's also a little bit of Homer in me. Right, and, but uh, like the whole like, like how do I get what I have? You know, I'm just, yeah. a, I'm, I'm, yes. I'm quite a buffoon. Um, 
And and uh, again, some great Lenny and Carl in here too yeah. in this episode. Um, how they just kind of uh, just accept Homer for who he is, as like oh Homer, Lenny, Carl, and I each have our masters. Oh Homer, he didn't need a degree; he just showed up the day they opened the plant. <laughs> um, uh, it's such a great episode, and this really is them almost pointing out like they they recognize how incredibly stupid homer is that they needed to bring in a foil for him as well um yeah so mr burns is watching tv and uh they do like one of those feature packages for like the heartfelt uh you know what the hell do we call those things uh human interest human interest stories there we go and uh it's all about frank grimes uh the self-made man so, the self-made man, executive vice president. Hold on, the self-made man. Yeah, self-made say man. Again. Say that again. Start from this. Frank Grimes, the self-made man. Self. Uh, Frank Grimes is a self-made man. Mister Burns wants to hire him as his new executive vice president, which of course pisses Smithers off. Um. So the next day, he brings in Frank Grimes. Mister Burns is still watching TV, and now there's a dog that uh. What he pull a? What did the dog do? Uh, the, uh, the dog saved, probably pulled something from a fire. I think. Yeah, the dog pulled someone. I thought it was from a train. Nah, I just watched this yesterday. Um, but now he wants the dog to be executive vice president, so they just stick, you know, Frank Grimes wherever they can find find a spot for him. Just so happens to be working right next to Homer. Right. Uh, and he this guy's as OCD as it can get. I'm really losing it. Hold on. Hold on. This guy's as OCD as you can get. This guy's as OCD as you can get. And he's got his own pencils. Th- that image of Homer, like, being impressed with the pencil and, like, holding it up under his nose and, like, smelling it. Right. <laughs> yeah. He's <laughs> like, uh, and then he asks if I, can I have it? No. Can Lenny have it? <laughs> Uh, so, some of the Kate, the Homer, just uh, so great in this episode. When uh, Homer's uh, alarm's going off and Frank's like trying to warn, and like all the bells and whistles going off, Homer has no idea. And he's like, You got a 513. And a 513. And he's like, Turns around, Oh, a 513. And just dismissing him with this little hand wave and just pours a bucket of water yeah. over his console to fry it. <laughs> There's a side uh, plot in this show too of Bart uh, bidding on the abandoned factory. This it's one of and making oh, well, no house work for It starts for him. with Marge trying to get a license plate. So, but Marge is already taken, so she wants to go with Mitzi for right. some reason. Right. But yeah, then Bart stumbles into a, an auction, gets a warehouse. This is one of my favorites too, and then him and Millhouse just. Do everything you would want to do if you were a ten-year-old boy and owned your own warehouse. Starting off with the Letterman uh, fire extinguisher gag, um, and then dumping old typewriters in the toxic waste. And then it's great when it collapses under Millhouse's watch, and all the rats <laughs> run into Mo's bar. Yeah, <laughs> everybody tucking their pants. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, it's it's such a great line. Eventually, Bart becomes a real like dick of a boss to right. Millhouse. And then 
appoints him the night watchman. <laughs> He's like, you were supposed to be the night watchman. No, I, was, I was watching. I saw the whole thing. <laughs> First it started falling over, and then it fell over. Um, I love how they uh, brought back, they did callbacks to old episodes when Grimey's like getting pissed about his accomplishments, like he was in outer space. He's friends yeah. with Gerald Ford. You've never been? Uh, smashing pumpkins, winning a Grammy. Would you like to see my Grammy award? Right. Like he's uh, flipping out. Uh, it's such a, it's such great writing. Because mm-hmm. you uh, kind of think they never, ever talk about all that stuff Homer did. And then and then they did in that episode. So, you, you, yeah, it, it, it happened, people. It happened. Uh, and then so Grimey then tries to set up Homer to show what a buffoon he is. And he sees this model building contest for children. And this, I don't know why, I it's the funniest part of the episode, and it's just a visual gag, where you see Frank hard at work cutting out where it says children, and then just taking a coffee cup and cutting a circle around the picture of the little boy, and then just putting that exact piece of paper on Homer's desk. Right. Not like photocopying it or right. something, so it's one solid piece. No, it's literally the flyer, but with holes cut in it, right. sitting on Homer's desk, and Homer just sees this as an opportunity to impress everyone and impress and then, Frank. And then when he does, and everyone's giving him kudos for it, yes. he just loses his goddamn yeah. marbles. So basically, Martin uh, builds this... A like, perpetual sterile, energy machine. Yes, right? um, which actually functions. All right. And Mr. Burns hates it because it has no heart. Um, Homer's... Uh, what was uh, What was Ralph's? And it was but his... they kick him off the stage, and he just stands there staring at the camera until you hear Chief Wiggum go, uh, Ralphie, get off the stage, honey. <laughs> Homer walks in with a replica of... Uh, let's not forget him in the basement building this when he... Uh, welding gun or welding torch. Well, and then you hear uh, him call from the basement asking if they have any more... Uh, Elba macaroni and glue on sparkles. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, he ends up winning the contest because Mr. Burns loves his design, which is basically the exact same plant that they already have. With a few modifications. With a few modifications um, with a racing stripe on it. Right. <laughs> down the uh, cooling stacks. Right. And he gets a standing ovation, which then leads Frank to his tirade. Um about, look at me, I'm Homer Simpson, I don't have to do my job, I'm the worst worker in the world, and then leading to his death. His death, which we heard in the uh, intro. So he uh, he would, um, you know who, who he was drawn to look like? Uh, from uh, Michael Douglas and Falling, Falling Down. Down. Exactly. And do you know who Hank Azaria based his performance off of? It was William H. Macy. Oh, okay. I could see that. It was right after Boogie Nights came out, so I think that's what he was kind of going with. Okay. H. Macy's character in Boogie Nights was great. Um, I I think as a one-off character, yeah, Frank's just... Grimy. One, Grimy's one of the best. I don't know why I keep saying Frank. He sure yeah. is. His friends like to call him Grammy. Um, friends like to call him um, But then, you know, he has a couple... Uh, they always call back to him from time to time. And there is a... a how do you call it a sequel? Where uh, Frank Grimes Jr. shows up trying to kill 
Frank Grimes. But the, the best part about the episode is when he reveals himself. He's like, it's me, Frank Grimes Jr. Who? And Homer just stares at him. Right. Like, I have no idea who you are. I don't know who Frank Grimes is. Right. Uh, j- just the way the entire world treats... You're right. He does stand out. He could fit in a normal world as a normal person. But just the way that he's treated as the weirdo outsider... You know, they um, were they were all pissed with themselves that they killed him in this episode. Really? They loved oh, the character they... so much they could have like um really used him. Um, uh, but you know, they lamented killing him off. But, but they kinda it, had yeah, no choice. I know. But it what's it choice. what makes the character so great and what really the exclamation point on this episode, and I, I think what makes it, in my opinion, my favorite episode and one of the best out there, one of the highest rated. It, it's killing him off. Yeah, the just, downfall, the downfall, yeah. Yeah, it adds to it. It sure um, does. But it, it Simpsons, you can just you can bring them back. You, I mean, yeah, why haven't they at this point? Oh, we need a Frank, uh, uh, Frank Grimes in a treehouse of horrors. Oh, yeah, Frank Grimes zombie. That's how you do it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was... Uh, I just watched this yesterday. I'm going to go watch it now. Well, we can't watch it now. Uh, we got a special guest coming up. Oh. Uh, we're going to be joined by... He's calling in right now. Uh, he is Chance Raspberry. He is the uh, A, lead animator on The Simpsons, which we just talked about. Uh, he is also a creator of his own project, which we will talk about. Let's uh, hold on one second while I dial him in, Squeeze. Okay, so now you hear you heard Squeezer and I talk about our our favorite old episode of The Simpsons, and now we have a special guest for you. It's, we're on with Chance Raspberry, who's calling all the way from Los Angeles. Uh, Chance is uh, an animator. Are, are you the lead animator, Chance, on Simpsons currently? Yeah, I'm. I'm one of many lead animators that are working on the show right now. Uh, how many uh, How many guys are there uh, lead animators working on a show like The Simpsons? <laughs> Well, in our building alone, we've got we've got to have at least close to a hundred. Um, where our technical title is character layout artists, and there's about a hundred of us working to produce all the keyframe poses of animation for the show for each episode, and then all of those drawings are sent overseas to uh, one of two studios in South Korea, where the there's like at least you know several hundred if not thousands more animators doing all the breakdown and in between drawings so there's literally thousands of people just artists working on the show at any given time kind of like the banksy intro <laughs> from a couple of years ago right <laughs> exactly man that, that i mean you know um there was even some controversy over that uh at least within you know the public because everybody was like oh god like we hope that's not true and so do we you know we we don't really ever hear about what goes on at the other studios but um you know (laughs) hopefully they're getting treated uh at least close to how well we are you know they take pretty good care of us at at the studio in burbank so as like the layout artist so you kind of like i was reading up on like what your role is and like you're doing the blocking and setting like uh, the the frames and the back so you're kind of like the dp of like an animated show, right? Um, yeah, it's sort of. In fact, one of the um, longtime directors on the show called us, like, he basically said layout artists are like mini directors um, because we have to sort of do all the jobs that a director has, but not 
in full, you know, like we're, we're definitely responsible for the bulk of the drawing, um, at least as far as planning everything out and making sure that like all of the acting and all of the action is controlled the way the director wants it to be. Um, but then we also have to do like the rough background design so that the perspective is correct and that the characters maintain their correct proportions and perspective to one another in the background and the shot has to be framed right you know so that the composition is appealing just all the things that go into filmmaking we have to keep track of as layout artists do you guys start on script and finish with voiceover or do you not even start till the voiceover is recorded you're right we don't start until after we have a storyboard and a voice recording because we we can't really um just read the script and sort of imagine what the characters are going to look like. We, we could do that, which is basically what the board artists do. Um, and then once they get the, the voice track, you know, they can kind of tweak things and retool things that need that maybe don't look right. But in the end, when we have a storyboard and a voice recording, we're going to go in and, and, you know, the director is going to say, okay, this is what I think the characters should be acting like. Uh, but you know have fun with it and then you kind of get a little bit of creative license to sort of like try different things or if there's enough time you know experiment most of the time it's so spelled out for us that we just have to kind of roll with what's whatever's in the script and the board but when you hear that recording you get a better sense of like what the facial expressions and emotions would be how much like uh uh creativity and like uh, flexibility you get with like certain things like i just watched uh mr goodbart last night and because nice. i we had just watched um uh like one of the episodes we just talked about my favorite homer's enemy frank grimes like the whole joke is like they're playing like pokemon like on his grave just to rub right. it in all these years later but like things like like the the cemetery like all those gravestones are that like in the script like who like like miss krabappel and like uh Krusty's dad and stuff or is that kind of like you guys can kind of go about it yourselves well that's a really good question um a lot of that stuff is in the script because it's a writer-driven show and Fox likes to sort of Fox likes to to sort of keep a tight rein on everything that's done so in order for them to do that, it sort of have to mandate that like, okay, the script is sort of the Bible for each episode. So if it's not in the script, there needs to be a really good reason to add it in. And like every once in a while, you know, like, let's just say there's a few names listed in the script for those gravestones. Well, then the director would then have the sort of the, the, the Liberty or the carte blanche to take the background artist and say, okay, just go in and go crazy with this, make it really funny make it clear because you know anybody who wants to pause it and read all of them or who wants to like keep track like super hardcore fanboy style which i love to do is uh is is you know like gonna want to see that stuff but then even after they get all of those tombstones you know labeled or written in they still have to be approved by fox and and you know i mean and there's like several people it's like you have the writer you have the showrunners you have matt graining and probably a few other like executive producers that have to go in and say like everyone has to sign off on every single thing before it can be you know actually in the show right so uh your involvement with the simpsons how long have you been with the show and um uh what's your i I know that the most famous i guess people on the show would be the voice cast uh do you get to work with them ever or sit in on uh readings 
You know, sometimes they do table readings, um, but you have to make an appointment. Like you have to schedule if if there's openings. Um, we honestly don't usually see anybody um, from the The, the other Fox lots, there are so many different, I mean, I guess there's technically three main locations and we're in the only one that's not in Hollywood. We, we're in Burbank. So um, we don't, they don't usually come to us. We don't usually go to them, but once in a while they will do like, you know, an invite to a table reading where you can go and they fill up really quick. So if you, if you miss it, you have to wait till the next one. Right. That's cool. Uh, yeah, at least we have that opportunity. I've never been to one of those. Uh, I, I was I got to go to a Cleveland table reading, but I've never actually, you know, made it onto the list of one of the you have to act fast to do the Simpsons ones. Seeing uh, like the trailer for like Little Billy and some of the concept art and all the other stuff you've done are, along with it. You definitely see like all your influences you had as a kid growing up, but specifically Simpsons. Was there anything that you know, the show that you're working on now that you look back on, remember specifically like those episodes or those characters or something like from the Simpsons that like got you and got you going? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, the, the, the Simpsons has definitely been a huge inspiration and influence in my art since I was a kid, mainly because um, Matt Graney was a local Los Angeles comic artist, got to start doing life in hell in the LA weekly and to see him go from that is that very sort of like accessible local four panel comic strip to having his own cartoon shorts on Tracy Ullman and then having his own animated series that turned into what the Simpsons now is as this giant of a show. Um, yeah, like it was that was kind of the, the main influence for me was, wow, you can actually have a little cartoon that becomes a giant success as a, as a single person, you don't have to like go start a business and form a company and LLC and like all this crazy stuff that just sounded like boring, complicated business stuff right. that you wouldn't want to do. You just want to create your cartoons. And so Matt Grady kind of proved that you could do that. And of course, even he says like he won the, the lottery of cartoons, but um, it's still, you know, other people have come along and shown that it's possible, like Seth MacFarlane and Trey and Matt, uh, you know, from South Park. And you got all these great success stories. And so, like, specifically on that side of it, I was influenced by the, the ability and the, you know, just the determination and the fact that these guys persevered until they became successful and made their show a hit or at least even got it on TV. And then on the art side of things, it was definitely inspirational because I loved how, you know, the style of the show is very cartoony in the beginning. And it's like wonky on purpose. It looked very kind of just wacky and cool and different. And um, it stood out and it was like, set, you know, set yourself apart as an artist and like the way you create stuff from original content from scratch. So that was a, a big inspiration of like, you know, make your own thing and like have your own ideas and um, and then I love, you know, of course, Bart's character. He, he was this kind of like little troublemaker. But, you know, he, there was always an opportunity for him to be, you know, like a good brother or, you know, kind of redeem himself. And, and you would get a lot more of that in the early season. So I love the heart The Simpsons brought to television animation and uh, as well as the crazy, outrageous humor for the time. And it all just kind of formed in this cool, you know, 
potion of inspiration. I was like, I want to go do that. I want to make my own show. And that's where little Billy kind of the roots of it started. Uh, staying before we get dive deeper into little Billy, just quickly on the Simpsons on what we're topic today. What, uh, from the first 10 seasons, let's say, what, what are some of the, your favorite episodes that are stuck with you and maybe, um, uh, obviously pushed you to become not only an animator and a Simpsons, but create your own show. So, okay. Um, gosh, the, uh, you're talking specific episodes like, or moments from episodes. Either or either or. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I, I absolutely love all the treehouse of horror episodes. So like anything like creepy or, you know, kind of horror themed was a really big deal to me as a kid. I just sort of gravitated towards the scary stuff. And I love that the Simpsons like kind of took off the gloves and didn't hold back. Like they would, they do some pretty scary stuff that was still really funny, but they kind of went out of their way to make it edgy and creepy but not so creepy that like, you know, a kid couldn't enjoy it. Right. And um, so I, yeah, like I just love all that, that cool stuff that they would do with, you know, the liberties and the creativity that they put into each Halloween special. And, um, and that was the first show, if I'm not mistaken, that was, I mean, you had like the specials like Garfield and peanuts and stuff from like the sixties and seventies and the early eighties. But, but the Simpsons was like the first show that brought it back. And, yeah. They like, owned and then Halloween. They started doing it every they still do. year. Yeah. I think I even have Marge introduce it on the stage and warn everybody about it made it so much cooler, especially as a kid. You're like, all right, this is badass. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you, you, it's like, you took it seriously. You were like, wow. Okay. Even if this is supposed to be a joke, they're actually warning me that like, I might get scared and you're right. It made it so much cooler and and more tough. Yeah. And like, you're just kind of like, okay, maybe I should, you kind of prepared yourself for, for a crazy ride and, and they would always deliver. So I did love that about the show. And, and there was um, other episodes that like come to mind. I mean, I kind of really gravitate to the ones that had like, like a lot of heart or a lot of adventure, um, which is a huge eighties staple, you know, like stuff like the Goonies and, and, and all that. So you, you had um, like that. My, one of my favorites is three men in a comic book at the end of season two, uh, where they all buy radioactive man number one and then it'd be and it almost becomes like a horror movie where it's like they start turning on each other right. and it's like their friendships it's like all this these really cool like great back and forth between the friends but then at the end when like you know millhouse is really in trouble they all kind of band together to, to save him and friendship prevails and it's just a cool like you know it was a great little story and it and it hit home really hard and it that's i think why we remember the class so well yeah that's that's absolutely true so what when did you start when did you start putting a little billy together well i um started creating the show in 1999 Uh, i was right out of high school and i had this idea for um basically just like a cute little kid that did terrible things when he got really happy because there was just something super kind of Looney Tunes and crazy and funny about that contrast. And um, I had already developed like these two little cute kid characters for uh, animated short that I had done at art school that summer before. And I went to, it was like the Cal art summer program. Um, so I was there in 1999 and, and 98. And in 99, I had this film with these two cute kids. And I was like, what if I combine both of these cute kids into one super cute kid and I'll have my main character. 
And so I did that. And the more I started playing with the story, the more I realized, you know, this needs more than just this kind of one trick pony gag scenario where it's always just going to be this kid, you know, getting, you know, excited and then like something explodes or, you know, some some right. crazy catastrophe happens. And um, about the time I was really trying to I kept developing it, but, but about the time I was trying to like figure out what I wanted to do with it to take it to the next level, Kickstarter came along. So I started researching the Kickstarter formula and all of the, sh the like really successful projects had like a good cause tied to them. And I kept thinking, you know, if only there was a good cause that I could associate with my character, little Billy. And, you know, that's kind of when the light bulb went off, uh, which is another point we haven't really talked about yet, but I myself have Tourette syndrome. And so uh, my whole, you know, my tics and everything were not what you see stereotyped, you know, in the media. There, there was never any like outbursts or profanity or anything like that. It was just like pure energy for me. Right. And so I had so much energy that like I, you know, couldn't sit still and I would just just kind of run amok. Like if 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 my parents are carrying me around, it's like as soon as I could walk, I was just gone. And so if they put me down, I would just take off running and they don't have to chase after me. And I thought, you know what? Like, this is my story. This is what I dealt with. Why not just make it about like real life experiences? And so once I kind of had that figured out, it all came together. And since I grew up in the 1980s, I thought, well, if this is going to be based on my own childhood or inspired by it, it's got to be the 80s. And that's the best stuff. I mean, everything, The Simpsons and all these other great shows, cartoons and movies that we all love came from that era. And I mean, kind of really like molded and shaped us as we grew up. Um, and so that's the ticket right there. And that was kind of the final piece of the puzzle. Uh, yeah, you know what? I, I often talk about this. I think it's funny how uh, you see a lot of 80s stuff uh, becoming popular. I mean, our podcast alone is, is it exists because all that stuff is popular again. It's kind of like how happy days resurfaced in the early eighties, like the fifties, you know, cause everyone who grew up you know, as kids in the fifties were now adults in the eighties. Uh, you know, we grew up in the eighties and early nineties and now we're adults. We reminisce and look back on that and you see it in advertising Absolutely. trends from the eighties and from now, like how, how they kind of prey on that. But then, you know, at least good things like your, your story and, you know, all the other cool stuff that's popping up now uh, that was influenced by, you know, the great stuff we we reminisce of on and we look we look back on from our childhoods. Absolutely. I could not agree more. And I, and I agree with really heavily with what you said about like this. Sometimes like companies or shows or you know networks prey on on this stuff just because, oh, hey, this is like what's hot right now. So we need to jump on the bandwagon. But at the same time, you see all of these really authentic cool you know genuine things coming out on, and, and most of it of course is happening online um and this podcast is a great example you know I, I appreciate you guys having me on the show to talk about all this cool stuff because i love that it's being embraced um i've been excited and looking forward to this you know because back in 1999 the 80s weren't even that old yet it's like it, right. it hadn't been that <laughs> we weren't that far removed from from and so i'm i'm talking you know i'm going telling everybody like you know little billy and the 80s are going to be cool again you know and they're just like <laughs> okay man like sure whatever and, or or like maybe they will and maybe they won't but 
you know, it was just people didn't get it. It, it was because it, it hadn't happened yet. And now that it's happening, I'm just going like, well, hey, it's cool. I'm really it's it's really nice when your intuition kind of pays off like that. And sure. you can just go cool. Like I saw some I saw this coming and I, I was right. And that's neat. But also then you're like surrounded by other people who get it and who really appreciate all this stuff like you do. And for the same reasons, and it, and it gives you a lot, you know, it like, it's like, it's putting, bringing a lot back um, that you got out of childhood. It kind of keeps the magic alive. Yeah. Like 99 early, like two thousands, like that was like what I would call like my purge where I screwed up because I was an older, dumb teenager thinking I'm cool. I don't need my toys anymore. And now I look back at that time, like, I just want to go back and just stop him. Just want to grab a little squeezer and pull him away from, uh, what was I going to do with that? So I can buy Right, you, cool. you're, uh, it, like, you're desperately trying to just get laid and, and look good in the eyes of, like, a possible significant other. So, you it know. It didn't work for me, though. Yeah, well, so I mean. wasted. Uh, but at the time, you don't know that. So, you, you know, you're distancing yourself from co- a lot of people go through. Like, I'm a big comic book reader. And, you know, you go through that time where you kind of stop reading comics, you know, because you're trying to impress that girl you're talking to. Or, uh, you know, you, you, you kind of put your action figures away or give them to your little cousin, you know, because, yeah, you don't want to be seen with those. Cause, and now, God, you wish you still had all that stuff. You're, you're going on eBay and right. paying three times as much just to get yeah. it back. Oh yeah, man. I mean, that, that the the people who are selling this stuff now are making a killing, and and it, which is cool because the people who really want it back can actually afford to pay the the top dollar. But you sort of kind of go, well, shoot, if I still had my original version of this, it would be worth a lot of money. But then at the same time, it's like, but wait, I still wouldn't want to sell it because I'm trying to find it and get it back. So like, it's kind of a catch twenty two in a good way, and uh, it's great that there's like a demand for all of this stuff again. And, um, and I mean, what's cool is like, I don't see it going anywhere, at least for a long time, because I mean, the stuff that you did, when you kind of reconnect and decide, wow, this was really cool. And like, I shouldn't have gotten rid of it. Or, you know, that was a really neat thing that, you know, I still love from the, from my past that I feel like that stays with you. Um, you know, you, and you, and you kind of keep pulling that through the rest of your life, because even if it isn't as big of a deal, once you possess it again, or, you know, maybe 10, 20 years from now, you still look back and go, Oh man, I remember when I was questing after, you know, a, my pet monster or, uh, you know, garbage Pail kid series one, whatever <laughs> that thing is that you're trying to get your hands on again. And I, I'm with you guys, man. I, I went through like when I, when I was actually first working on the Simpsons and I could afford it, I, spent you know probably too much money uh chasing stuff down and it was so just it was like because it was so expensive again because the demand had already become known so now everybody was like oh crud you know we're gonna have to pay at least a few hundred dollars for this thing and but you know nobody else is selling it cheaper than that so what are you gonna do yeah i mean when you're a kid you would debate buying it for four dollars and now you're like should i buy it for four (laughs) hundred Right. <laughs> exactly. So what are some of the the uh, the toys and maybe pop culture items from your childhood that you I know I saw a lot of stuff in there. I saw Teddy Robskin. I, I know you talked about My Pet Monster. What are some of the, the toys and, and video games and movies that you like? I have to get this in for the for, for the first go around with Little Billy. 
You know, that is such a good question because, I mean, there's almost too many to name. And it was one of those things where you kind of have to debate, like, what do you leave out? What do you what do you get in? And so um, you're right. Like my, my monster and Teddy Ruxpin uh, are two of the main ones. And and you guys were talking a minute ago about uh, like just personal stories. Um, those two toys have a real like kind of special place in my heart and my childhood story because um when I was first diagnosed with Tourette syndrome, uh, it sort of became clear to me why other kids sort of avoided me. And you still don't understand. I was diagnosed when I was eight, but like there was kind of leading up to that for a few years, you know, sort of murmurs and like discussion about like, what if this is what's going on with our son? Mm -hmm. And so, um, the whole Teddy Ruxpin thing of like, you can put a tape in and your, your stuffed animal like is alive and it talks to you and it wants to be your friend. And it tells you stories like all these things were super like extra cool and extra magical to me because I was sort of becoming aware of the fact that like, I didn't have friends. I didn't have like, you know, peers that were my friends in school yet. And um, I, you know, I hadn't figured out why I really hadn't even had that realization. And then, once I started to like get that a clue about that, it was like, okay, well, this is hard. This is sad. You know, I, you know, it may kind of like you hurt your feelings or right. you, you start to kind of become self-aware of this kind of stuff. And it's, it's your, your first taste of like, you know, the childhood struggle, if you will, that everybody goes through growing up for, you know, their own ways, their own reasons. But um, with Teddy Ruxpin, I was kind of like, well, you know what, though, like I do have a friend like I, I've got this toy and he talks, to, you know, it's like almost like having someone alive that, you you know, can have a conversation with. And it was almost this like, you know, um, it sort of softened the blow, if you will. It was kind of like, all right, well, you know, I'm not really sure what's going on or why or what's going to happen, but. I'm okay. Like, I'm going to be all right because I've got like, you know, but my parents got me this toy I know they love me. I know they care about what's going on and you know, what happens to me. And then I've got this, you know, great toy. That's like a really awesome, you know, it makes me happy and it, you know, occupies my time and it's like a friend. And, and the same thing was true of all the, you know, animated shows, like at the end of just take your pick, right? Like He-Man, She-Ra, Thundercats. Like there was always kind of that moral moment. Sure. Well, G.I. Joe really had yeah, the rub it in your face one. <laughs> I love it, right? And you you get like that wonderful sort of like sense that like, hey, like they're talking to me. They're actually like these characters are interacting with you as a viewer, even as, and especially as a kid. There's there's just a lot of magic in that. Um, and you just go, you know, wow, this is like the guys who make this show as, as an adult, you look back and go, the guys who make this show were really good at, at like communicating with their viewers and their kids. And like, you know, maybe it's just because they were marketing geniuses, but they at least cared enough to make something that, that would really resonate with kids that age and, you know, make them feel good and make them want to come back and watch another show. So you know, whether people want to say, oh, these were just 30 minute commercials for toys or not. No, you know, yeah, even, I hear that, but I know, don't not at all. Like yeah. to, not to us, like no. not to the kids. They weren't because we actually cared and we we learned from the right. morals of human and, you know, like Silver Hawks and all these great shows. Sure. And we 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 took that stuff to heart. Right. That was like uh, the guys that were our heroes were telling us, like, this is what you know, it takes to be a hero or this is what's, you know, cool. This is how you be like a good person. 
And that meant a lot. And it still does, you know, it's kind of like building blocks for your, your life, you know, the, the person you're going to become. And so we had this great, that great resource in the eighties that you really don't see anywhere today. And so that's why I, I went to the, the toys, right? Teddy Ruxpin, my pet monster Glowworm was a great one because if you're afraid of the dark, you just hug your buddy and he lights up and it's not dark anymore. Like what a cool concept. And, um, everything was so innovative. You had these guys just saying, we got an idea, let's make it. And let's see if the kids like it. Let's see if it becomes, you know, successful. And the ideas were so cool that the stuff almost always became successful. And there was that, you know, that early to mid eighties period where everything was just being tried. Mm-hmm. They, they almost, there was like, almost like, like no reason to not do something. And now it's the opposite. You kind of get the whole, um, well, you know, it's like, there's kind of a reason. There's always a reason to say no or turn down an idea um, because nobody likes taking risks. Um, it's scary to take a risk. Right. So now, but back then it was like, it's like the eighties was like the era of the risk and everybody was doing it. And we are super like fortunate that we grew up then and got to have all these cool memories. And so, um, I think I've mentioned everything. I mean, you know, you just like, you've got all of the Saturday morning cartoons, like real ghostbusters and Muppet babies and Ninja turtles. And, um, you know, Disney afternoon was after school. And it's just like, you have like so many, so many cartoons everywhere. And, uh, you know, it wasn't, a, you didn't need cable. Right. You just had, I mean, you, you, you had like, you know, you didn't need cartoon network or Nickelodeon, but we had those too. eventually early nineties. And, um, so yeah, man, we, we had such, such cool stuff. And I tried to cram as much of it, like in a loving, genuine quality way into little Billy, because it's not just about, Hey, like, let's, you know, check out, like, let me flash an eighties icon in front of you and like spark a memory. Like it is, that is what I'm trying to do, but everything I'm including and incorporating like these cartoons and shows and toys and even like food, you know, um, and commercials and ads from the eighties and, you know, like music, um, even like, you know, commercial jingles, as far as music goes, it all has a, a role. It all plays a role in the story of the characters. And Billy, you know, is the main character who's dealing with all that kind of stuff. Like, sure. so his, he sort of, his connection to the world is through the toys and the TV and, and the movie screen because no internet, no phones, right? It's the eighties. Right. So I, I love the idea that like, we can show a character sort of like becoming who he is and, and, and discovering himself through these great aspects of childhood. And then they actually have an impact on him enough, just like those moral moments right. to make him do something crazy cool. Like, you know, in, in one of the episodes, he'll like, you know, save the day. And it's all because of something he heard on TV or something he like maybe he misunderstood mm-hmm. and uh, he, he thought the toy was saying something or telling him to do something. So he did it and it ended up being a good thing that wouldn't have happened otherwise. So it all gets written back into the story. Oh, that's awesome. Well, yeah, I got, Thanks, I, got to, I got to give you credit there. When I, I went to the page and that one, that image of little Billy sitting on the floor and you'd already talked about with Teddy Ruxpin, my pet monster and a glow worm flipping through the channels 
on the floor in front of that couch where my couch was. It just happened to be brown. This one was a little bit green. But I remember sitting on the floor because it was like a briar patch. It just hurt to sit on. But just seeing that image immediately. I'm not known. I have a track record track record for not emoting much. That that got me. And uh, it was it, it pulled me right in just seeing that one image. Awesome, man. Thank you. I'm so glad, you know, that, that cause that's I mean, I feel like in, in, at a point that was all of us. Right. You know, we, sure. we love to make force. We love to, you know, like um, like or just even sit on the couch with a pillow or on the floor. I'm sorry, in front of the couch with like a pillow and a box of cereal and your toys. And you, you would kind of like that was the thing, I think, that, that the 80s nailed. That's so that like no decade before or since has really maintained, which is they created this immersive universe. So it wasn't just a cartoon. It was, you know, you had your, the cartoon, you'd watch the, you, you know, be in the world with these characters. But then while you're watching it, you can have that toy of the character sitting right next to you and you can act, have them act out, you know, whatever's happening on the show or do your own adventures. And then when you're done, oh, Let's go eat the cereal of that show. Like right. now you can actually include it with your meals. And then you've got a sleeping bag with those characters sure. on it. So you go to bed. It's like this amazing thing where your whole life is, it almost makes it real. It, it, as a kid, it was like completely real. And so that's, I'm so glad you said that, man. Thanks. That, that's what I was going for is like to try and capture that realness and that sort of all immersive experience that we had as kids. Yeah, that's I mean, that's exactly what we try to do on this show is is because uh, dealing in nostalgia and peddling nostalgia is, is like peddling gold to people. And we're not even trying to sell it. We're just trying to to we're just trying to get you there with us. Uh, and I think that's what you're trying to do, too. You're just trying to bring people back to that moment. And you, you're doing it. I mean, from what we've seen so far, uh, you're doing a great job. And I can't wait to see uh, what you know, once we, once you get funded, cause I'm sure it'll happen. What, what comes of little Billy? Is there, do you have like an Avenue? I mean, we're in a, in a great, it could be a bubble. It could not be, but we're in a great time period for creators because squeezer and I both work in television also. Uh, like, well, he works in the Simpsons. Yeah. I mean, we are very, very below what the Simpsons would be like a, the top of the empire state building to the basement. In comparison. Oh, no, no, but you guys are in the business. That's cool. Um, yeah, some days, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like, there's like a, a, a for creators though, there's a, a huge, I mean, there's the funding, which is, you know, Indiegogo and Kickstarter. And then, and then the, the possibility of, of your show getting out there. I mean, if you, there's YouTube, there's Vimeo, then there's the net, the, the streaming networks, like, you know, the Hulu, the Netflix and then the cable and then the broadcasting cable are making, taking more chances and trying to get more content because they want to compete they have to with the streaming there's it's a it's a great time to be a creator in the industry uh i don't know if you agree with that i mean you're closer to the actual networked industry than we are but um i don't don't know what's your assessment on that no i mean you're absolutely spot on right man and I, i i will say this like i think you guys get it more because you've got some distance between yourselves and your, you know, your perspective is a little more distant. So you, you're far enough away to see the big picture, even though you're still, you're still in it as well. And um, I'm going to get even more real here because I'm, I'm always like, you know, myself and I'm, I'm, I'm just like, that's kind of what I, 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 my, I, one of my full 
believe in real always, no matter what. And that's what I, you know, instill in everything I do with little Billy as well, um, which I'll get to in a second. But but to to just kind of just open up a little more about this, like what you guys are saying about about some days it's cool it is very true because there are other days working on even like an amazing show like The Simpsons where you, you sort of long to do your own thing. And you don't have as much creative control or creative input as, as you might like to as an artist and a creator. And, I, and that's why I agree that this is an amazing time to be a creator is because even if you work full time at an awesome job like The Simpsons, and I, I only say that because I'm very grateful for, for this um, place that I'm at. You know, I, I know that I'm lucky to be there. And I actually got, you know, it was kind of a, a stroke of, of, you know, it was like God just kind of came down and touched my my shoulder and was like, all right, cool. Like, you're going to go in here now. And it was because the movie was happening and the crew for the movie was kind of stealing all the artists away from the show. So for the first time in like 15 years, they needed new artists. They were short staffed and that, right. that never, ever happens on a show like The Simpsons. So it was a it was a real blessing, but it also, you know, it leaves room for you to kind of go, man, I really, I really want this to do my own own. What if I have my own idea and I can't put it in the Simpsons cause I don't write the Simpsons and right. you got to stick to the script. So like now with Kickstarter and YouTube and crowdfunding and all these amazing PayPal, you know, like you can basically start your own project. You don't even have to be a business or a company or start one. You can just set up a few websites for free and now you have the ability to create work and sell it or create work and distribute it on on like like you said global live streaming you know platforms to the entire world so this is like a, an absolute golden age which is another thing that I, I incorporate into my production company for little billy and the little billy you know sort of whole project itself and um and this brings me sort of to the answer of your question which is the avenue i want to take with little billy is just that I want to start off as, you know, right now I'm just trying to get enough animation out that it will bring in more funding, like significant funding. Cause right now I'm getting enough independent funding on, on Indiegogo to do um, like a new animated short. And the animated short is, is there, I mean, I, I have a story, I have like, you know, an entire beginning, middle and end for it. But there's no set length. It's, it's going to be kind of what it is, whether it's 90 seconds or three minutes or whatever. We'll figure that out as we go. But I am not yet raising enough money to, to like hire a crew right. and do a full pilot. And that's what I would love to do with the show is like, like eventually get, you know, maybe a few shorts if, if necessary. If, if, if one doesn't cut it, maybe do a couple more. And then get a crew hired, you know, hopefully funded and hired to do a pilot episode that would be like, you know, a full 22 minutes or even 11 minutes. And um, then say, you know, hey, Netflix, uh, would you be interested in making this a series or doing a first season? And if not Netflix, then I could go to Amazon or Hulu sure. or so many, you know, even like now YouTube has a network. I think it's YouTube Red and there's yeah, like so yeah. many avenues which is why this is a golden age for creators it's just a great time yeah it, it absolutely is I, I mean friends of ours squeezer are, are down in florida doing youtube red stuff mm -hmm. um that that cop show that he's a tv cop now and i don't even I, I just saw promos for it but i know your ex comrades are doing that mm -hmm. show and um 
nice. yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of work out there, which is great for our industry. And, uh, you know, it com- really is. competition's a great thing <laughs> for, uh, for the Absolutely. creators. And, uh, so what, what it, now if, if people have been listening and they want to, you know, they want to participate in the, the crowdfund or they just want to you know, check it out or get to know more about little Billy and, uh, your, your story, uh, where can we direct them here? Well, thank you, man. I would love uh, for anyone who wants to check it out to just go to littlebilly.com, which is L-I-T-T-L-E-B-I-L-L-Y.com. And that will take you to the Indiegogo campaign, which is now in demand. Um, I was able to raise the my, my base goal of $10,000 by my deadline. So Indiegogo has this cool new feature where if you opt in for the in-demand program, as long as you meet your goal by your deadline, your campaign stays open and live and the deadline goes away. And now it's just over ever now. And, and either until I don't get a pledge for six months or if I miss a month of doing an update, but basically as long as I meet those two requirements, which are very you know reasonable and easy to do, then the campaign stays open. People can pledge. There's still tons of fun perks that that are not, you know, not close to selling out. And then there's a few that are almost sold out. So people can go try, you know, get their hands on those while they're still there. We've got animation cells from One Crazy Summer that are signed by uh, Bill Cop, who is the lead animator on that movie. Also, Better Off Dead. Um, and he was actually what's cool. This came full circle. He was actually one of the original lead animators on the Tracy Ullman Simpsons. Oh wow. So, yeah, it's really cool that, like, I was able to get in touch with him and he was down to, you know, be involved in the campaign. And uh, so uh, there's, you know, that's the perk. Uh, got production drawings also from One Crazy Summer. I got Simpsons Treehouse of Horror posters that um, are are signed by me. And I'll, I even draw something on it if you want, like, an original sketch on it. So and then, of course, all the little Billy stuff like T-shirts and posters and stickers and all that fun stuff, too. So um, littlebilly.com is where you guys can go to check it all out. And there's going to be interviews with uh, I got interviews with artists from the 80s coming out. So more videos are on the way. I'm going to do some behind the scenes videos where I'm actually animating the short cartoon and showing like this is my process this is how an animated film gets made from start to finish and i want to like walk everybody through the whole process so that not only would that maybe be fun to know how it works and see it happen you know behind the scenes but also so people have a better understanding of like how much hard work it takes to just produce a few seconds of footage for an animated piece of content it's so much work right right yeah i can imagine and um i mean you could see the fruits of your labor. It's uh, from from what you have on the Indiegogo preview right now. It's it's going to be worth it. I'm never going to catch up on everything I need to watch because now he's creating content for creating content. Yeah, just... <laughs> right. That's that's kind of like exactly that. That's that's my my way of keeping people, um, you know, like in the loop uh, or at least like entertained while the, i'm creating the entertainment so it's like well if you guys you know if, you, if you're getting tired of waiting for the finished cartoon here's a little three minute video that shows me work you know that, that here's like some new footage of uh progress being made and hopefully it'll it'll keep everybody you know happy until i can get the finished film out yeah well to be fair squeezer we're creating content about him creating content about creating content so <laughs> 
we're uh that's awesome we're just leveling it up a bit but uh that's that's what this is all about um so littlebilly.com to learn more uh when's uh when's the next time to get you back on to talk about like when, when do you see yourself doing another big push like when's the next big update that we can have you back on and talk more about this because this is a great story and we, we don't want to lose uh we don't want to lose contact with where it's going well, thank you guys. Man. I, I'm honored and I would love to do that. Um, hopefully within the next month or two, like my, my goal is to have the first interview out by the end of this month and then to keep the interviews and the behind the scenes videos coming. Um, if I can, you know, I'm going to try to release at least one new video a month, but maybe even like every couple weeks. So we could really do it anytime. And um, I mean, the, 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 obviously like the next huge milestone will be the completion and the release of the animated short, which is honestly probably going to be a while. I've only got one other artist um, who's helping me with. It's actually someone that you guys and listeners might know. His name's Joe Simcoe and he's a garbage pail kids artist on the current line of cards. Oh, okay. He's do, is he doing all those like presidential ones that you see all the time and um, that they did? For oh the yeah, election? man. Yeah. Those are great. Yes. Right. Yeah, man. He's, he's, he's an amazing artist. He's really got that John pound style down. I mean, all his cards to me, I've seen like him and some of the other artists, but his style to me most, you know, closely and, accurately represents that series one style where, where like john pound did every card so he's really kind of nailed that classic look of garbage pill kids and he painted the poster you know the little billy series poster that's mm -hmm. one of the main perks on the campaign that's all him you know I, I art directed it and i did the drawing of billy so that he could make sure everything was on model but i mean he just hand painted that thing other other than that from scratch with uh acrylic and airbrush so we're keep we're trying to keep it as traditional and you know make it look we want it to basically be produced and i'm making sure of this that it gets produced like a cartoon got produced in the 80s so we don't want to just rely on computers and technology we're going back we're doing traditional background paintings which is what he's going to be doing at least you know some of them to some extent right. and um but other than that it's just me so until I have enough funding for that, those, you know, maybe to hire a few more animators, the animation process is, is just really slow. And um, so what would be really cool is if we could do some updates between now and when the cartoon comes out. And uh, certainly, like, I can let you guys know when all the big stuff is coming. But again, you know, anybody listening who wants to support and try to drive that funding up for, for more artists, uh, just go to look littlebilly.com and pledge for some cool stuff please yeah littlebilly.com that's awesome that that's the way that you're you're producing it even despite the extra maybe extra amount of work that goes into it because like i'm a fan of the process i can't say it enough like i love that like movie gag and you know puppet versus uh cgi anytime give me give me puppet yoda any day of the week and so for Absolutely. me knowing that that that's your process to me it, it means even more now Great. I mean, thanks, man, because that's that's what I was hoping people would gravitate to is like, well, you know, if this was just some dude, um, you know, kind of like cranking out uh, in-betweens or, or tweens or whatever in Flash on his computer, it might not be as entertaining to watch process videos or behind the scenes videos. But my hope is that because we're doing this as traditionally as we can, um, that you'll actually kind of get to, to have 
even just the behind the scenes like oh cool like this guy's actually flipping paper and you can see in the flipping that like the the image is actually moving and starting to come to life and there's just so much magic in that traditional sure. I, mean, I love what you said you're a fan of the process so that's that's me all the way man I, I almost love the process more than the like the journey is more cool and more fulfilling to me than the destination yeah it's uh it's funny over the over the holiday uh amazon had their black friday deals and i bought the blu-ray of the Lord of the Rings special editions. It was on sale for 20 bucks for all three of them. And my girlfriend was like, what, what the hell are you doing? I own those movies. I'm like, yeah, but you, I don't care about the movies as much as I care about the three hour making of that are on each of them because uh, nice. that, that to me is more interesting than the movie itself. Uh, but yeah, especially being in the industry. Uh, and I think a lot of people, even who aren't in the industry, love the process and love like the, how it, the, looking inside the sausage factory and seeing how it got made. I mean, that's what po- that's pretty much some of the best podcasts that exist anymore are, are, are most popular ones out there right now. I'm listening to that something to wrestle with with Bruce Pritchard just to hear him about his old WWF stories. I can't get enough of him. So I think that's that's that, that's that's as content's almost as popular as the show itself anymore. You know what I mean? Amen, brother. I I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Um, and it's it's. Yeah, it's just what you, it's it's so cool hearing how it all came to be because you when you have such a love for something, you you it's almost like well man like what if this didn't exist you know like how did this happen how was this possible in the first place because it's crazy to think of something like not happening once you love it that much and then when you can go back and actually hear maybe the struggles that you know the, all of the 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 hard fights and and efforts it took to get it to exist in the first place is always so fulfilling and inspiring because then, I mean, like you said, if you're in the business or even just creative, it not only tells you like, Hey, look, like if you, if you just keep trying and never give up, you can make it happen. And here's the proof, but it also gives you like inspiration to keep trying. And it's like, look what they did. Hey, maybe these are ideas that you didn't have before. And now you've got this like, new fire in you to, to keep going and, and make your own thing. Yeah. I always point back to the Kevin Smith clerk story, how he just made it and just uh, maxed out a couple credit cards. I'm not saying anyone should do that, but he, he, <laughs> he, he spent $23,000 and just made a movie. And he's, he's the, he's like, I say the inspirational speaker, our generation never asked for, but always needed. And, um, I don't know if you know that story, but, uh, um, he just made a, a, a great movie that's still popular back in 93 for a uh, black and white film and, you know, went on to build an empire on it, but he just constantly says like, if, just make it. And then when you hear that, yeah, it's not that hard. As long as you are willing to do the work, you know, you could, you could work on making your dreams come true. And that's kind of what you're working on. And it's, it's awesome. I can't, I can't wait to see it. And it's, it's final, um, you know, when it spreads its wings and, uh, let, lets itself go all over, uh, probably the internet and, and streaming networks and hell, why not broadcast? Right. Amen, man. Yes. I mean, so my original, thank you for that, by the way, man, because that, that is exactly what I'm trying to do. And that's what I, I love to see other people doing. And it's like, we're in this great time of one of the reasons we're in such a good, like golden age for artists is, is because the internet is a huge part of it, but even just this sort of collective consciousness of like creative energy. So you see other people trying things and it inspires you to try things. And it's like, it's, it's like, it's like, okay, if it doesn't take off right away, because most people's thing doesn't. And it's like, 
you realize that you're in this wonderful, like positive struggle with a ton of other people who are like-minded and share the same passion you do. And you kind of go, wow, you know, like, it's like, you feel like you found your, your place that you belong, which is an awesome irony because it's like, you know, those cartoons um, that inspired little Billy and, and it sort of molded me as a child in the eighties were a huge reason I started drawing and practicing and wanting to animate in the first place. And once I started drawing, that's what led me to the people that I could relate to and that were like me or that understood what I was going through and vice versa. And it was like, Oh, how cool that like the thing that was sort of the substitute for my friends is what led me to my friends. Right. Right. Yeah. We have similar stories, right? Yeah. You know, we, we grew up loners, but uh, growing up loners is what basically trained us to be friends with, you know, our current current group and, you know, throughout life. And uh, it was, it was training for success early. So it's um, so cool and it's so true, man. Well, one last time, littlebilly.com. Uh, you're gonna want to get in on this. You're gonna kill yourself if, you're, if you look back ten years from now and say I had the chance to get in on the ground floor of this, and, and didn't because those posters are probably gonna be people are probably gonna be buying those on eBay for hundreds of dollars one day, uh, just like we talked about uh, our old action figures. Um, so you know, I'm gonna get on and, and get a get a piece of that action. For sure, uh, and I encourage all uh, I encourage all our listeners to really just get on, check it out, and uh, uh, you know, at Indiegogo, you could you could donate anything, right? From a dollar to to uh, just a donation, or or to get one of the perks. So Absolutely. I mean, why not do it? Why not help out a, a fellow uh, a fellow one of us? We're we're uh, you know, it's uh, not the fraternity because I don't want to just limit it to men, but it's uh. It's a coven. Let's say a coven. Uh, a, a, <laughs> or like a family. A family. Or, it is a family. Yeah. It's uh, and then you know we're all part of this clinging on, not clinging either. It's uh, I don't want to diminish it, but it, we're all we all love what we grew up with, and and it uh, it it uh, formulates who we are today. It uh, inspired us to be what we are today, and uh, you know without it we wouldn't be. So you know help out our, uh, our friend chance here because this is such a great project and I can't, we all would love to see it, uh, in its final form. Well, not final form. Love to see it succeed. Succeed. That's the word I'm looking for. I want to see what, 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 what what season of Simpsons are we on right now? We are, uh, currently on 29, very close to the big three. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, 30 years from now, I want I want you calling, I want you hologramming back in to talk about the 30th season of Little Billy. Oh man. Hey brother, from your mouth to God's ears, dude, that that's my goal. You know, I, I would I would love nothing more. And um, I really, really appreciate your support and, and that you guys having me on the show. And all the listeners, man, thank you guys for just keeping the magic of the eighties and of childhood alive and you know, you guys with this podcast and, um, I'm right there with you, you know, like it's, it, this stuff is so essential and valuable and meaningful and beneficial. Um, all, all of the, all of the heart and all of the, 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 like, you know, I guess camaraderie that we, that we were, that we were exposed to and, um, in like sort of injected with through these wonderful, creations in the eighties that, that we had. And, and even from before then, you know, I mean, like the, the golden age of media and, you know, leading up to the eighties, 
Um, it's, it's amazing and it's very worth keeping alive. And so you guys, I mean, I just can't thank you enough for doing it with this podcast and we're all on the same mission and I, I love it, man. It's thanks for, you know, thanks for, uh, having me be part of the family. Well, Chance, thank you very much. And again, it's littlebilly.com. And finally, it took us over a year, and we finally got our official Simpsons episode into. Right, it took us a little bit to talk Simpsons. We, we, I mean, we reference Simpsons in almost every show. Episode, but finally, like an official titled one, and uh, there's going to be more down the road. So and, and more from Chance and Little and Billy. And more from Chance and Little Billy too. So, uh, for Chance, NRK, I'm Squeezer. Thank you guys. See you next time. <laughs>